Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast, the podcast of excellence. Uh, We're talking about Book 8, Chapter 12. This chapter says that Helena sincerely admired Natasha, but also that even though Helena knows Natasha is engaged to Andre, the thought of bringing her brother together with Natasha amused her. How do these statements fit together? This chapter shows a closer view of Helena through the eyes of other than Pierre's. What do you think of her character up until this point? Does this chapter confirm or change your thoughts about her? Um, it does kind of change your thoughts about her, doesn't it? Because she knows she's in, that she knows that Natasha is engaged to Andre, and apparently she likes Natasha, and yet at the same time, she's sort of wingmanning for her brother, knowing that. You know, to her brother, Natasha is just a sort of an amusement. So it's almost like they're almost kind of like sociopaths. They just have no, no conscience, no social conscience. Kara Kikar says, Helena has some real mean girl energy here. She admires Natasha, quote unquote, because she is pretty. But that means she's also a threat to her status in society. So obviously she needs to find a way to ruin her. Going forward, the role of Helena in my mind will be played by Rachel McAdams as Regina George. Mean Girls style. Ripster66 says, Helena is a bit like her brother, isn't she? However, as a woman, she doesn't have the luxury of independence and autonomy that Anatole has, so she has to be a bit more conniving to get herself a match like Pierre. Now she's a wealthy socialite that enjoys causing a little drama. She may like Natasha, but only so much as to respect her beauty and all that could bring her. She's just giddy at the thought of throwing Natasha to her brother and watching what happens. Maximum drama. Young Natasha doesn't stand a chance against those two. This chapter confirms my poor opinion of Helena, but it does make her out to be a bit more brighter than Pierre gives her credit for. She's a master manipulator with few scruples. What a terrible wife for poor Pierre. Jen0889 says, I don't trust Helena's intentions It does appear that she may feel threatened by Natasha's youth, beauty, and the interests that others have in her. I'm worried that she is going to try to ruin her by putting Anatole and Natasha together. Nothing good can come of this, and poor Natasha is so young and naive to be cautious. Yeah. Yeah, she's like a lamb to the slaughter. This is good writing, says Brett Peterson, because I'm so emotionally invested and I hate that Helena is wingmanning her brother, with whom she allegedly had incestuous relations, if my memory serves me right. This chapter does change my view of her. She's not stupid, just evil. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, is it Anatole or uh, is it... Uh, Ippolite. No, it's Anatole that she has the incestuous relationship with. It's kind of hinted at in the novel. Um, but in the BBC uh, miniseries, it straight up shows them in bed together, her and her brother. So they just kind of took the hint and, yeah, just took it, <laughs> ran with it. So... That's kind of like that's canon for me, in a way, because back in the back in these days, you know, when Tolstoy wrote this, 
the most you could do was hint at things. Like, I'm pretty sure Nikolai banged Sonia in that little uh, barn or whatever it was when they were away and looking for the ghost or whatever they were doing. And it was just hinted, you know, he said they, they went in there together and came out together and they kissed or something like that. Uh, and that was all it said, but that's all they can say, right? I think. Although in the previous chapter, they did straight up say that Anatole wanted to make love to her. So, hey, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Who cares? Let's keep reading chapter 13. Oh, by the way, did anyone hear the last minute or two, or probably two or three minutes actually, of, of yesterday's podcast? I had a little visitor, a little guest, guest appearance. Um, I think a lot of people listen to the first half of the podcast and not the second half. So if you're listening to this and you didn't listen to the second half of yesterday's podcast, you should go to it and listen to the last three minutes. Again, you'll enjoy it, I think. Okay, count... Rostov's, sorry, chapter 13. Count Rostov took the girls to Count Bezikova's. There were a good many people there, but nearly all strangers to Natasha. Count Rostov was displeased to see that the company consisted almost entirely of men and women known for the freedom of their conduct. Mademoiselle George was standing in a corner of the drawing room surrounded by young men. There were several Frenchmen present, among them Metivier, who from the time Helena reached Moscow had been an intimate in their house. The Count decided not to sit down to cards or let his girls out of his sight and to get away as soon as Mademoiselle George's performance was over. Anatole was at the door, evidently on the lookout for the Rostovs. Immediately after greeting the Count, he went up to Natasha and followed her. As soon as she saw him, she was seized by the same feeling she had had at the opera. Gratified vanity at his admiration of her, and fear at the absence of a moral barrier between them. Helena welcomed Natasha delightedly and was loud in admiration of her beauty and her dress. Soon after their arrival, Mademoiselle George went out of the room to change her costume. In the drawing room, people began arranging the chairs and taking their seats. Anatole moved a chair for Natasha and was about to sit down beside her, but the Count, who never lost sight of her, took the seat himself. Anatole sat down behind her. Mademoiselle George, with her bare, fat, dimpled arms and a red shawl draped over one shoulder, came into the space left vacant for her and assumed an unnatural pose. Enthusiastic whispering was audible. Mademoiselle George looked sternly and gloomily at the audience and began reciting some French verses describing her guilty love for her son. In some places she raised her voice, in others she whispered, lifting her head triumphantly. Sometimes she paused and uttered hoarse sounds, rolling her eyes. Adorable, divine, delicious, was heard from every side. Natasha looked at the fat actress, but neither saw nor heard nor understood anything of what went on before her. She only felt herself again completely borne away into this strange, senseless world, so remote from her old world, a world in which it was impossible to know what was good or bad, reasonable or senseless. Behind her sat Anatole, and conscious of his proximity, she experienced a frightened sense of expectancy. After the first monologue, the whole company rose and surrounded Mademoiselle George, expressing their enthusiasm. How beautiful she is, Natasha remarked to her father, who had also risen and was moving through the crowd toward the actress. I don't think so when I look at you, 
said Anatole, following Natasha. He said this at a moment when she alone could hear him. You are enchanting. From the moment I saw you, I never ceased. Come, come, Natasha, said the Count, as he turned back for his daughter. How beautiful she is. Natasha, without saying anything, stepped up to her father and looked at him with surprising, surprised, inquiring eyes. After giving, giving several recitations, Mademoiselle George left and Count Tess Bezakova asked her visitors into the ballroom. The Count wished to go home, but Helena entreated him not to spoil her improvised ball, and the Rostovs stayed on. Anatole asked Natasha for a vals, and as they danced, he pressed her waist and hand and told her she was bewitching and that he loved her. During the Ecossais, which was also danced with him, Anatole said nothing when they happened to be by themselves, but merely gazed at her. Natasha lifted her frightened eyes to him, but there was such confident tenderness in his affectionate look and smile that she could not, whilst looking at him, say what she had to say. She lowered her eyes. Don't say such things to me. I am betrothed and love another, she said rapidly. She glanced at him. Anatole was not upset or pained by what she had said. Don't speak to me of that. What can I do? She said. He said. I tell you, I am madly, madly in love with you. Is it my fault that you are enchanting? It's our turn to begin. Natasha, animated and excited, looked about her with wide-open, frightened eyes and seemed merrier than usual. She understood hardly anything that went on that evening. They danced the Ecossais and the Grosvater. Her father asked her to come home, but she begged to remain. Whether she went and whomever she was speaking to, she felt his eyes upon her. Later on, she recalled how she had asked her father to let her go to the dressing room to rearrange her dress. That, what? That Helena had followed her and spoken laughingly of her brother's love and that she again met Anatole in the little sitting room. Helena had disappeared, leaving them alone, and Anatole had taken her hand and said in a tender voice, I cannot come to visit you, but is, is it possible that I shall never see you? I love you madly. Can I never? And blocking her path, he brought his face close to hers. His large, glittering, masculine eyes were so close to hers that she saw nothing but them. Natalie, he whispered inquiringly, while she felt her hands being painfully pressed. Natalie, I don't understand. I have nothing to say, her eyes replied. Burning lips were pressed to hers, and at the same instant she felt herself released in Helena's footsteps, and the rustle of her dress were heard in the room. Natasha looked around at her, and then red and trembling threw a frightened look of inquiry at Anatole, and moved toward the door. One word, just one, for God's sake, cried Anatole. She paused. She so wanted a word from him that would explain to her what had happened, and to which she would find no answer. Natalie, just a word. Only one. Uh, he kept on repeating, evidently not knowing what to say, and he repeated it till Helena came up to them. Helena returned with Natasha to the drawing room. The Rostovs went away without staying for supper. After reaching home, Natasha did not sleep all night. She was tormented by the insoluble question whether she loved Anatole or Prince Andre. She loved Prince Andre. She remembered distinctly how deeply she loved him. But she also loved Anatoly, of that there was no doubt. Else, how could all this have happened, she thought. If after that I could return his smile when saying goodbye, 
If I was able to let it come to that, it means that I loved him from the first. It means that he is kind and noble and splendid, and I could not help loving him. What am I to do if I love him and the other one too? She asked herself, unable to find an answer to these terrible questions. Oh dear. Oh golly. Not good. Not good. Uh, oh, that's my phone beeping. <sighs> She's so young and easily confused and manipulated, and it's very, very frustrating to watch this guy, who clearly knows nothing about her, except that he finds her a bit sexy, declaring that he loves her madly and he can't live without her. And it's like, yeah, you can. You know, you can. You might kick yourself for five minutes if you missed out, and then you'd be perfectly fine to move on. But in her head... That means real love, you know? So, very manipulative. Awful to watch. Alright, have your say over on the subreddit. Thanks for listening and I'll catch you tomorrow.